All right, I can't get away from it. During worship, uh, there was a, I just had, right before we started singing Worthy of It All, uh, we're there in the Lord's presence. And, um, and then Darlene had, had a, a word on, on what worship means and ascribing worth. And I just, I had this, the, this impression that um, you got to give something that costs you something. If, if, if what you're offering to the Lord, and actually this is going to be a point in the message later, if what you're offering to the Lord doesn't cost you anything, it doesn't mean anything to you, then it's not worship. Uh, for me, it's really easy to sing songs. And so that doesn't really cost me anything. But if I'm singing a song and offering a new place in my heart or allowing the Holy Spirit access to something in my life, that's worship. Um, and I just... I just want to encourage you, never, never just settle for singing a song. Never settle for just, just singing and going through a routine, but make sure that your opportunity for worship is, uh, is one of sacrifice, and you give the Lord something that, that counts, that costs something. That was for free. That's not part of the, part of the routine here. Um, wow. Wow. Usually I have something to say about one of the announcements and, and you just covered it all so well, Darlene. I just, I, well done, well done. We are going through Mark uh, and we're wrapping up the end of chapter 12 today. We're going to do verse 33, 38, sorry, through 44. Um, we're going through Mark because we are the church. We are on mission with Jesus and because we're on that mission, we want to do it like Jesus. We want to approach it like him. We want to think like him and do the things that he does. And so we're studying how he goes about his mission. Mark has a unique take on how Jesus did it. And so one of the, one of the things that I like most about Mark is in those first couple chapters when he uses the word immediately about 18,000 times. And, um, and that's just it, it, what he, he emphasizes is the immediacy, the, the uh, sense of time and pressure and, and urgency that Jesus was working with. He had three and a half years to get stuff done. And <laughs> I don't know, three and a half years with crazy people like, like Peter and James and, and those guys. Well, he had a lot to do in a short amount of time. So that, that's what I love about Mark. Um, we are in day three, so Tuesday of Holy Week. Started with Sunday, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. He comes in and he's uh, proclaimed Messiah and, and receives it and, and, and receives the praise and the worship of the people calling him Messiah. That's a big deal where, where the rulers are, are now set off and, and on fire with rage. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. He says he's the Messiah. So um, that was Sunday, and then he turns around and goes back out to Bethany, spends the night. Monday he comes in. This is the day he, he rips the places apart and, and clears the temple, tosses out the money changers and those selling animals, and, um, and purifies. The, there's the phrase cleansing the temple, cleansing the temple. This is meant for something other than your business needs. This is meant for connecting people to God. That was Monday. And then he was teaching a little bit on Monday. This is Tuesday. A lot has happened on Tuesday. I think we've been in Tuesday the last three weeks. Um, and, and Jesus is teaching. He's had, he's had his authority challenged. He's in the temple and the, and the 
delegation from the Sanhedrin come up and they, they want to know by whose authority are you doing this and what's your assignment? What are you supposed to do and who said you could do it? And he didn't really satisfy their curiosity or fall into their traps. Uh, he said, well, what did you think about John? And was John, the baptism of John the Baptist from God or from men? And they didn't want to, they didn't want to compromise their own position. So they wouldn't answer. And Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to answer either. So, so there, and, and they were unsatisfied and unsuccessful in trapping Jesus. He went on to tell several more parables and answer several more questions, all of them in the face of the scribes and the Pharisees and the way that they were practicing their religion. They, had, they were well-established in their religion, and they enjoyed their place of authority. They enjoyed their place of influence and respect. They enjoyed the money. Um, come on, somebody. That's, that's why we get into ministry, right? More on that later. Um, <laughs> um, but Jesus was constantly hammering at them and would not let up. And they knew he was talking about him. It wasn't really veiled anymore. They knew. He was like, do not be like these guys. And so he is in the temple, in the, the court of women, which is outside the, the Holy of Holies, where they do the sacrifice, or the holies, the place, holy place, where they do the sacrifices. This is the court of women. As far as the women are allowed to go, outside of this is the court of Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles are allowed to go. And in the court of women is uh, the treasury rooms where they store the things that people brought in to the Lord. And there's also receptacles for money, uh, boxes where they would put money, Cut, not totally unlike that, maybe bigger than that one, but you know, uh, for, for all the coinage. Here's what happens. Verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper or brass coins, which amounts amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Lord, would you bless your word today? We believe that your word is alive and active and speaks to us today with the the principles that you put in place and that you're trying to teach us. We open our hearts to you. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. So I mentioned the layout of the temple and the, the treasury and the, the money receptacles, they were placed around in the court of women. And there were big rooms for the wood stores and the grain stores and, um, and the oil and everything that was needed for, 
for the system of worship that they had. There was 13 wooden collection boxes with metal uh, or bronze horns, you know, uh, trumpet-shaped things that would, you could, <laughs> you know those things at the mall where you put the coin in and go, kind of like that, only probably didn't spin quite as much and wasn't for entertainment, but rather to uh, guide the money into the box so they didn't have messes to clean up. Um, They were spaced along outside the walls of the court of women uh, and in between the storehouses. Jesus sat down. It would have been, he would have been in one of the areas. He couldn't sit necessarily uh, opposite or across from the entire treasury because it was the whole room. So he, he was sitting in a place where he could see some of these receptacles and watching people give. One of the things we want to take into account as we look at this passage is this is Holy Week. Everything that happens in this week and everything that Jesus takes time to teach in this moment is really important. He's not messing around here. He's not just kind of jib-jabbering and and saying whatever comes to mind. He's very intentional. And as he comes to this um, point, he's very intentional about this. It says, he began to observe or began observing. And this, the words in the Greek um, bring to mind somebody of official capacity attending an event. Um, in, in the Greek culture, there would be delegations and, and representatives of the government at an event, at a sporting event, at a, uh, a political rally. Well, rally is a bad word. That brings all sorts of other things to mind. But uh, a political event where people were having a debate or things like that, there would be people from the government there to watch. That was their job to observe. So he was doing this very intentionally. He wasn't, he didn't just happen to be there and sit down and go, oh, hey, take a look at this. He was there on purpose to watch on official business. And so he wasn't just noticing. And as he's there, he sees this widow come in and she puts her coins in widow. The word widow isn't just simply one who has lost their, their husband or a widower uh, losing their, their wife. This was somebody who the word means without substance or in want, or um, there's a, a lack involved literally and figuratively widow. And she puts in the last two coins that she has. Now, did Jesus get a download from the Holy Spirit on this and know that those were her last two coins? No, it would have been been pretty obvious that whether or not it was her actual last two little little pennies, um, her dress, her her state. He knew that she was a widow because of the way she was dressed and probably the state of her clothing and hair would have been indicators of her level of poverty. So it was just observation. The disciples in this moment weren't going, how did you know that? Like they knew that they, they could see that just like he could. And then the, the, uh, the two, two small coins, the word is lepton. And these are the smallest, smallest denomination in all of the money of that area in that time. Um, the word actually means small or thin, and it, uh, sometimes they resembled like peelings of, of uh, metal, scraps of metal. And the two of those made a cent, which was the second smallest denomination. So uh, it could probably get you a handful of flour, and that was it. 
So just before this, Jesus had been rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees, where he he says, um, beware of them. They like to do these things. They like, they like to uh, have the respectful greetings, be in the, be in the right places, and get all the attention. They like to, and then he says, they devour widows' houses. Now, it's significant that he says widows' houses, and then we see a widow moments later at the treasury. I want to see how, how hard I want to hit this right here. Jesus was always offended with the Pharisees. He was always upset with the way they did things. And I imagine he had a lot of restraint in the things that he said to them. And uh, I, I, you remember when, when James and John wanted to call down fire on Samaria, the Samaritan town where where they rejected Jesus and, and Jesus was like, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Stop it. That's not what we're here to do. Um, But I, I imagine Jesus, if there was ever a temptation that Jesus had, it would have been to blast a few of these guys, you know, like just in, in, in the words of, of Steve Shell, fricassee them. <laughs> fricassee. Do, you, do you know what fricassee means? Some of you do. I had no idea. I heard him say that for years and I had no idea what it meant. It's a style of cooking. It's a style of cooking. And that, he won't. anyways. That would have been one of my temptations if I was Jesus. And so we're all glad that I wasn't. Um, Jesus was always offended with them. And, uh, and it was because of their inherent hypocrisy in the way that they practiced Judaism. It was because of the way they came to God and the attitudes in which they came. And he always offended them too, <laughs> because he didn't hold back in that. They would ignore the spirit of the law in order to enrich themselves, much like we've seen in the church over the years. So, so it says that they would devour widows' houses. What does that mean? Like they're going in with a, a bulldozer and, and, and breaking their house? No, it meant that they would, they would manipulate the system in order to extract money from people. And the poor and the vulnerable were especially susceptible to this because they wanted God's blessing and they wanted to, to prove that they were faithful. And so they would give when it was very, very impractical to give. Like, you need to eat. And, and that's why moments later when we see this widow, she's actually giving the money that, that she would need to eat. But this was their practice, the scribes and the Pharisees. They would, they would do it. And we saw it, uh, I think it's in Matthew, where he talks about Corbin, right? Uh, where Corbin is something that is set aside for the Lord. And, and you could, there was a technicality, a loophole in the law where you could get out of giving your elderly parents money that they needed for survival. You could get out of giving them that if you called it Corbin. Oh, this is set aside for the Lord. And then you wouldn't have to support your elderly parents. That was another time when he was really smacking the Pharisees. He said, you're, you're, you're taking the law, ignoring the spirit of it, and, and using it to enrich yourselves. Religious leaders, pastors, television evangelists, and prophets asking for your money. We haven't ever seen that, have we? Luring people with spiritual benefits. Manipulating the emotions of vulnerable, a.k.a. devouring Widows' houses. There was a thing years ago uh, where there was a, they would send out letters 
uh, religious leaders of, of this caliber would send out letters to people asking for their social security checks. And like, that's about as close as you get literally to, to, you know, widows and the, uh, the religious taking advantage of that and people would do it. And then, and then of course, what's happening to that money, you see them on TV, you see the jets and the helicopters and the houses and the cars and, um, and the suits and, and all that. We've all seen it. It still happens today. Kind of gives us all a bad name as Christians and pastors. And that's what Jesus was hammering in that moment, was that same thing. Not only is this narrative a direct comparison of true faith against the falsity that was the religion of the scribes and Pharisees, it was playing on the previous statement of devouring the widows' houses. So this passage has actually been used, and this, this, I just kind of shook my head as I realized this last night. This is a passage that those same people would use to tell you to give in faith and to give sacrificially, right? Give like the widow, because that's the kind of giver that God loves. Um, I find it really, really ironic that, that actually the meaning of what he's actually talking about right here is not to give sacrificially, as much as it is to say, don't be like these guys. Don't do that. So Jesus was sitting intentionally watching to see the manner in which people gave their money to God. And Jesus called his disciples to pay attention to the way in which the widow gave to God. It was worth him watching for, and so they should watch for it too. Again, in, in Holy Week, every moment is precious. He's not wasting time. If he's calling the disciples' attention to this, it's for a reason. He was not looking at the amounts that the rich men gave, nor the manner in which they gave it. Giving, because it's always about the heart, isn't it? It's always about the heart. You can give a lot or a little, and, it, and it, it's always about the heart. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. In fact, it's not just about the money. It's about your time and your resources. We give, and I'm, this is not a message on tithing or, or giving money, but because it's such a part of this, I need to, I need to just get some things out of the way. Um, we give to God of our money, but also our time and resources because he's the one who provides it. And this was the principle all the way through the Old Testament. You, you honor God as your provider with a tithe. The first tenth of all your income, that's what a tithe is. And so we do that, and God set that up to where we give through the local church. And I say through the local church, not to the local church, because the church is is a representation of God's kingdom. We have things to do. We have people to reach. This, and, we, and in the world today, it takes money to do things. It takes money to keep the lights on and to make the AC work. Hallelujah. And, and, it, and it takes money to pay the property taxes and, and all that. So, so there's money involved, right? It's just a practical thing. But also to finance the work of, of reaching other people. I... And... Since, since we're talking about crazy religious leaders and, and pastors and, and people that have 
stolen and, and been dishonest with that. I would never ask you to tithe or give something to the church if I was not doing that. Like we are, me, you, we are in this together. So this is how we do it. This is the principle. This, and I'll be, I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, and if you don't tithe, you don't have God's blessing. I'm not, we're not going there. We're not talking about, we're not preaching about tithing today. But this, this is an element of what's happening in this, in this. The tithes fund the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Um, but it's not just money. It's, it's time. It's resources. We had this work party yesterday outside. We're gluing paving stones over here and building the wall over here and trimming stuff up over here. And, and people were giving their time and resource to that. The title of today's message is what it means to give to God. And so normally I do three points today. We're just two, just two. If you're thinking that's going to make it shorter, I don't know if that's true. Um, But the first, the first point that I want to bring out of all this is God knows your heart. Jesus is not with us physically in a body, but the Holy Spirit is here and is omnipresent and omniscient. Those are big fancy words for he literally is everywhere at the same time and knows everything. That's what those big omni words mean, right? He is not confined to a body, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was watching in this one particular time for a particular thing. But the Holy Spirit is that level of intentional and attentive about all things all the time. That's kind of hard to comprehend because we are finite and confined to a body. Um, And I don't want you to start freaking out because, you know, this is a big, big, you know, scary God knows everything, sees everything. Yes, he does. But his motives are pure and he loves you and wants to bless you. Uh, Not punish you. Um, not to teach you a lesson. That's not, that's not what he's about. So here's the point in all of this, in his omniscience and his omnipresence, he knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives and what's behind the things you do and say. Jeremiah 17, nine says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord search the heart. I test the mind even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. We don't even understand our own hearts. We don't even get our own motives most of the time. But God says, I I understand. I, I made you. I know how your mind works. I know how your heart works. And so I understand. Even when we think our motives are good, the Holy Spirit gets in there and he can show you what's really going on. Have you ever been in a place where you thought... You know, you were doing something good, maybe not thinking too much about it. And then the Holy Spirit said, why are you doing that? And questioned your motive and you realize, oh, oh man. Yeah, I guess I was kind of selfish in that. Yeah, I guess I did kind of have an ulterior motive. I guess I was looking for something else um, by doing that. The deeper you trace your motives back, the more you will agree with Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart's messed up. Your heart, your heart is messed up. Maybe you've experienced this, but uh, 
in, in my previous work, I was a worship leader and um, week in and week out, putting song sets together, working with the bands, um, providing that atmosphere of worship for the services, for, for people to worship. And, um, and I had a way of doing things. I had a way of selecting the songs. I knew I had a, a little template basically in my mind that this is what we do. We do this, this, and this, and this, and it, and kind of a, it was programmed out. And um, there was a few people in my life that would occasionally challenge that. Um, and my response was usually, uh, I, yep, yep, but I'm, I'm going to do this because I know it works. And, um, and we've tried other things, but this is kind of where we've settled. And, and I had good reasons for doing that. Um, at some point, one of those questioners, one of those people that, that said, hey, why don't we do it this way? It, it, it caught me different. And, and I realized that my real motivations for doing it the same every time uh, had more to do with insecurity, had more to do with uh, fear. What if my boss didn't like it? What if it didn't work? What if people didn't like it? Uh, I, I didn't realize that that was my motive until I was challenged. I was just kind of on autopilot, right? That's just kind of a, a small example of not really knowing what's beneath the surface in your own heart, much less anybody else's heart. Ooh, that's another message. Uh, you really don't know what people are thinking or feeling, right? You don't even know what you're thinking and feeling. Um, but even if we do not, and we don't, God does. God sees, he knows, and he understands the motivations of our heart. And, he, and not for the purpose of judging, not for the purpose of a smackdown, uh, but for the purpose of growing you and parenting you and teaching you. So our, our first big thing out of this is God knows your heart. Just like Jesus was, was comparing and contrasting the scribes and Pharisees in their heart in giving to the widow, God knows our heart. The Holy Spirit knows everything on the inside. So what does God expect when we give? Again, not just money, but your time, your energy, and other resources. We could talk for a long time on this, but I've just got a couple things about how we give that would, would be a basic foundation for this. The first is not under compulsion, not because somebody else said to, not because that's what you're supposed to do. Second Corinthians nine, six says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you, uh, you may have an abundance for every good deed. We are not to give out a compulsion, but out of conviction. God wants, if God wants you to do it, then that's what you do. Not pressured by people. Now, the Bible does give us principles on tithing and money in general. There's a lot of scripture on money, by the way. If, if you, you can do big studies on the Bible and money. Those principles hold true, but an individual needs to arrive at a place of conviction before God. This is what God wants me to do. 
This is what I read in scripture. This is what God wants me to do. And you're not to be talked into it by somebody else. You can be taught what the Bible says, but you decide how to do this. That's the first thing. The next one is be generous. First Timothy 6.17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who, is, who richly supplies us uh, with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Real generosity for the good of others, not yourself, not putting all your stock in in the wealth and the things you can accumulate here on earth, but laying it up in heaven. So the second thing would be, be generous with your resources. You give not under compulsion, but out of conviction, and you should be generous. Next one is, be discreet. This is a little weird one, Um, but it was something that Jesus hammered on all the time with the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew 6, 1 through 3 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That doesn't mean don't keep track of your finances. That means that means. Be so discreet that, that you're not talking about what you're doing to bless other people. So be discreet. You give in faith. Matthew 6.30, Matthew chapter 6 talks a lot about all this. Um, if God so clothes the grass, the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Faith is an element in how you give. Bless you. Faith is an element. This widow here that we see in this narrative was giving out of a profound faith that God would provide for her. Never mind if she had been manipulated into giving, never, never mind all that. She, her heart before God was pure and she gave out of faith. So faith is something that, that we do. It's if I give, well, generally a lack of faith will keep me from giving. If I don't believe that God will meet my needs, if I, if I don't understand that he cares for me enough to, to look at the practical things in my life and meet those needs, then, then that's going to hinder me from being generous with my resources. But if I have faith that he is who he said he is, and if I make room for him in my life, then, then I'm much more willing to part with my material possessions because I know that God will care for me more so than the grass of the field, the flowers, the birds, and so on. And now we come to one that I mentioned at the beginning, something that costs you. When you give, it's got to be something that costs you. 
Um, this widow was giving something that cost her dearly. And Jesus compared that with the, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and other rich people in the, in the temple that were giving out of their surplus. They had lots and lots to give. Um, and so it didn't affect them at all. Though they gave a large amount of money into the, into the box, they, it, didn't, it didn't affect them. They were going to go home and have all the same comforts and all the same luxuries that they had before. It didn't cost them anything, but it did cost her. Jesus said because of that, she gave more than all the other people. Now, obviously not literally more in the sense of money, but since when does God care about the amount? He doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart. He owns everything anyway. He doesn't care about how much he cares about your heart. It's the heart he's looking for. And this woman's reliance on God was more real and more honest than anyone else there. David said this. Um, I believe it's in 2 Samuel. Uh, David was going to make a big sacrifice to the Lord, looking for a place to do it. And somebody wanted to give him property in, in what is now uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. They wanted to give him that property and give him uh, animals to sacrifice there. And David said, it, said, I cannot offer God something that costs me nothing. I cannot give him something that costs me nothing. Why? Because it's about where your heart's at. It's no sacrifice. It's, and, and why sacrifice? Why does it need to cost me? You ever heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? In other words, if you really believe in something, you'll have your money invested into it. Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 6, uh, this time verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thief and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We will sacrifice and give to the things that are important to us. Yes? Anybody here golf? I totally, I've golfed one time. I've golfed one time. And it was so bad that I just never went back. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah, the highest score. It was actually part of a best ball scramble. So I was like part of a team and we, we did okay. But my team was, they carried me. Uh, I think I got one good drive. Sorry, I digress. Golf. I'm just using golf as a, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm pushing buttons here, but golf is not super cheap to play, right? Every time you go out, you gotta, you gotta, you know, pay for the bucket of balls and pay for, but, but if you're serious about golf, if you really enjoy golf, if that's important to you, then then the cost is worth it, right? Okay, I am not downing golf. I'm just, I'm just saying it's not a cheap hobby. Uh, any sport could do. Um, other hobbies can, can take a lot of time and resource, and we're willing to put that in because it's important to us. Uh, gaming gear for computers or, or, or cars, car, boy, cars can be a money, but, uh, uh, I know somebody right now who's, who's, uh, working on their boat and they're, they're doing this for really good reasons. And the boat is, is going to be awesome. It's going to be a ministry, but if, but I see people with boats that just pour money into it and, and it just costs a lot to maintain, but it's important to them. 
In short, giving that costs you keeps your heart tied to and engaged to that priority. If you're constantly spending money on something, then that means something to you. That's a priority for you. And so when it comes to God and his kingdom, it ought to be a priority for you. How do you show that it's a priority for you? You spend your time and your money and your resources on it. It also honors God as the source of all your time and your money and your resources. Costly giving gives him that rightful place. It gives appropriate reverence to him and reminds our hearts that we are putting him first. It's almost, it, it works both ways. It's like we honor God, so we give him money. But if we give him money, then we honor him because that's where our treasure is. That makes sense? Did I just confuse you? Yeah. Works both ways. But Jesus called his disciples to pay attention to the widow and to show them how he saw things. We want to see things like Jesus. I said that at the beginning. That's why we're in Mark. We want to see things like he does. We want to do things like he does it. Because he's a representation of the Father. So we know that this is what God wants. Why would Jesus show them this so, and tell them this? So that they could evaluate everyone's motives and judge them accordingly? Certainly not. That would not be a good motivation. It doesn't line up with who Jesus is or what he says. And besides, we wouldn't want others judging our motives. No, he was showing them because this is what pleases God. This is the kind of faith and reliance on God to meet our needs. This kind of sacrificial giving when we are convinced in our hearts that it's a thing he would have us do, giving out of conviction, this honors God, this pleases God. And so this is why he called his disciples to pay attention. Seth, can I have you come on up and play? So God sees our hearts. He understands our motives, even when we don't. He wants to push us in this direction of, of giving our heart and giving honestly and giving out of conviction. Why does he want us to give? Why, why does he want us to sacrifice? Because he knows that when we do that, our hearts are with him. Uh, over the years in, in church, I've known lots of people that that uh, have been in and out. Many times, um, somebody will will leave a church with a with a gripe, and you feel like that's a silly thing. Like let's let's work it out, man. <laughs> or you know, maybe maybe it wasn't big thing of gravity and, and it just didn't make sense and, and you quickly realize that, that that person was was not invested they were not invested uh, their time was not there their heart was not there and so it didn't really take a whole lot to, to make them go away we're called to, to be invested in the kingdom and again, I'm, I'm going much broader than, than just tithing and, and offering. And I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about where your heart is about the kingdom. Now, God is building his church here and, and in this congregation and in other congregations. God is building his church. He, that's, that's his job. But he, as you as an individual, he wants you all in. Scripture says you're a living stone. 
God is building his house with with living stones. He wants you to be a part of this. He wants to, to work through you. He wants to facilitate ministry through you. He wants to equip you for ministry. And this is how it works together. But he needs your heart all in. That includes your money. That includes your time. Or you put your money and your time in so that your heart will be there. This is not a message on tithing. It's a message on what it looks like to give to God appropriately. Because that's what this passage teaches us. This direct contrast between the the Pharisees and scribes and the widow gives us an opportunity to reflect on our own hearts and our own motivations. Paul the Apostle, talking to the church in Corinth, uh, suggests that we examine ourselves. He said, for if we judge ourselves, then we will not be judged by God. Because this is what it means to give to God. It means he's our first priority in life. It means we'll do anything to be with him and give anything for him. It means we trust him to care for us in practical ways. It means he's the center of everything. As you look at yourself today, as you examine your heart, can you honestly say that your heart, your life, is centered in God? I know you're limited, just like I am, in evaluating our own motives. <laughs> but so far as you know, is your life centered in God? Does your giving of money, time, and resources reflect that? That He is the center of your existence, that your life is revolving around Him. Let's just take a second right now and, and and reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to, to really probe around in there. I, I'm, this is what the Word does. It teaches, reproves, corrects, encourages us. And the Holy Spirit works through that. Would, would you just open your heart to Him and, and see, if, see if there's not an area where He would speak something to you? in a gentle way, in an encouraging way. Holy Spirit, we want to be all in. We want to be the living stones and the the members of the body like you've called us to be. And we need you to, to reveal motives in our hearts. We need you to speak. now as as the Holy Spirit puts his finger on things, ask him what you ought to do about it. He's not just going to stop and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He's going to lead you. He's going to lead you. What's right? What does it look like? Holy Spirit, bring wisdom today. Holy Spirit, show us, guide us specifically in these areas in our heart. Because if your life isn't centered around him, then you are actually far from the kingdom. And you are heading down a road that can only bring despair and emptiness and frustration. 
So I encourage you to pursue him, to prioritize him, to discover the true and living God, make him the center of your affections, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you will find out how God intended you to live rich and fulfilled lives as you walk with him. Holy Spirit, we we commit our lives to you again. As a congregation before you now, we commit our lives to you and everything in our lives. Help us to give appropriately. Help us to prioritize appropriately in a way that makes it clear to our hearts and to people around us that you're the center. You're the most important thing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. As you go this week, may you walk with God at the center of your life. May you be filled with his spirit and give him what is right. May God, by his spirit, guide you, strengthen you, and help you as you follow him into the mission of Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. In Jesus' name, amen.